Hello, listeners. Welcome to our bonus episode of Powerlines, from Ukraine to the world. I'm Anastasia Lapatina. And I'm Jakub Parushinsky. Over the past few weeks, you've probably seen a few stories about the corruption in the Ukrainian government, something we haven't heard so much about since the beginning of the full-scale invasion. To shed some light on it, this week we're speaking to Anna Mironyuk, the head of investigations here at the Kiev Independent, to examine these recent stories and explore the role that journalists play in reporting on them. Hi, Anna. Great to have you on. Hello, everyone. It's great to be here. Before we start talking about the specific cases, I just wanted to get your broad feeling. Ukraine is known as a country that has a corruption problem. It's been the case for decades. How do you see the current situation compared to the previous years? Honestly, Jakob, I don't think that there is a huge change in uh, terms of the scale of corruption in Ukraine compared to the previous years. It feels like up until recently, it was just a taboo to speak about. It was just something that people rather would not look at or acknowledge because there was Russia's full-scale invasion happening. And uh, I guess it was a very uncomfortable thing to think of, the fact that the corruption is still existing. I mean, it's kind of understandable that at the moment of the full-scale invasion, everyone's attention focused on defense. But over the last couple of weeks, especially, there's been more articles coming out and more discussions about potential issues of corruption. Do you feel like the taboo is breaking? Yes, I do feel so. Uh, Because, well, it's been almost a year since Russia unleashed its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And I guess to this point, civil society in Ukraine has already realized that the victory cannot be accomplished actually without proactive democratic society and uh, watchdog agencies that are keeping track of public procurement, procurement for the military, etc. People in Ukraine started realizing that to actually contribute to the victory, civil society in Ukraine must watchdog the resources because these resources must better serve Ukraine's defense and not being funneled somewhere else or being pocketed by some corrupt politicians or officials. I think it's also a matter of feeling the ground and getting used to the situation because I I remember having discussions with journalists in Ukrainian media who've had certain content. It was, I think, videos of the Ukrainian military perhaps doing something that could be allegedly illegal or something. And I had a conversation with a journalist who said that their newsroom decided not to publish it. That was in the early days. And they mentioned how there was a whole conflict happening, that some journalists were like, no, you know, this is our job. We have to keep the government to account. But some journalists and perhaps the editors ultimately decided that, you know, maybe it's not the right time. Anya, you would know that it's really scary as well to publish these materials, not only because of potential government pushback or rich oligarchs hunting you down for the stuff that you wrote about them, but also the people. I think a lot of journalists may also fear some sort of negative reaction, kind of like, how dare you talk about this right now? You know, our military is dying for you and you're accusing them of stealing money. You know, it it can go all sorts of wrong ways. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, but it's definitely an uncomfortable process right now. 
As we are speaking about the challenges journalists face as they are covering corruption or mismanagement of the government or, well, the country's establishment, I would probably take this chance to talk about the challenge I faced when we were considering to cover the story involving International Legion, which we first started looking into back in the end of summer. We've received some information that International Legion, which is a part of both Ukraine's ground forces and military intelligence, was uh, extremely mismanaged by their leadership, which was uh, abusing their power, which was causing deaths of uh, the servicemen. But having received this information, we faced this moral dilemma, as Nastya already said, when uh, as a journalist in Ukraine, you are trying to weight all pros and cons and think about how this story would be perceived right now amid the war when Russia is an aggressor, which is trying to conquer your country. And at the very same time, you know that there is something wrong happening in this very military in Ukraine, and uh, you're trying to see how to pursue with this story. So basically, I can share my thinking of myself and Olga Rodenka, the chief editor and the team who has been working on this story. What we took into consideration was the following. First, at the very beginning of the full-scale invasion of Russia, Volodymyr Zelensky addressed everybody in the world saying, you guys, if you would like to help Ukraine's cause in defending itself, join International Legion. And we as a Kiev independent published the story like an explainer on how to join the Legion. When we received information that something was wrong inside the Legion, we started considering whether it serves public interest. And it did, because we had an obligation before our audience to inform them on something we reported on in the past. And we said, join, because that's what Zelensky suggested. But now we have some insider information coming in, saying that it's not the great place to be and explaining why. The second thing was the fact that this leadership mismanagement drastically affected servicemen. They wanted their stories to be heard and they wanted to bring change. They had been knocking on the doors of every official in Ukraine, in the parliament, in the military, trying to attract attention to their problems. They weren't heard. Journalists were their last resort. And uh, the important thing is here that despite all the concerns about our safety by revealing mismanagement in the army, we still decided to do this story because, well, in our opinion, it was actually contributing to Ukraine's victory because it was shedding light on something that is going wrong in the military. And now is the time when you resolve these issues when you repair what is broken, not after the war, because after the war, it might be way too late. You can make the argument that these kind of stories are especially important to publish in a timely manner, because the people that might sign up to the Legion or, you know, who are currently serving in it could die because of the mismanagement, mishandling or or malfeasance. I honestly think that Ukrainians are more scared of like the way this would be perceived than anybody else because I remember the comments under under the story I mean all of the westerners were to begin with shocked that we you know had the guts to do it and you know Anya kudos to you and your team and they were all in awe that Kim Independent had the courage to investigate this and to publish this at such a time because obviously the whole other side of this is Ukrainians are very scared perhaps rightfully so 
that such reporting may impede the efforts to get as much aid as we possibly can and as many weapons as we can from the West. And I've I've had this I've had this very annoying instance of a discussion like this when I was in D.C. and I was speaking at a Transparency International conference. And uh, I mentioned this investigation because it just came a few weeks earlier. And I was explaining on a, on a stage why this matters and why we did it. Around that same time, at those same dates, there was a big delegation from Ukraine that was in D.C. It was a lot of activists, some journalists, people from the defense ministry, etc., who were negotiating another military aid package. A guy came up to me. He was a Ukrainian working uh, within like some sort of big international organization, but Ukraine's office. He was like, I really appreciated what you said and you guys did a great job, but... You know, there is a Ukrainian delegation in Washington right now. You know, they're negotiating with the Biden administration. And I just wanted to hear what you think about whether, you know, the timing may be a bit problematic here. And I was just annoyed to my core because I I was thinking, wow, you really missed the entire point of my presentation (laughs) at this conference right now. We have to show to the West that we're not just a corrupt country where officials run free stealing money. We do have those officials, but we also have a whole bunch of people who are brave and, and intelligent and courageous who try to fight these officials. That is the argument sounding at the moment in response to the story which was broken by uh, Yuri Nikolov, a journalist uh, who did the article for Zerkalatezhnya. Um, Over the weekend, it was published. It was looking into military food procurement by Defense Ministry. Basically, the essence of the story is that um, Defense Ministry signed a contract for the year 2023 for food for the army, for the military. But not the army stationed on the front line, but those stationed somewhere far away from uh, the active combat zones. And some of the positions on this food list were higher in price than market prices in grocery stores in, say, Kiev. There was a document that got leaked to Nikolov, and he published it uh, with uh, all the numbers that it had in it. The price for one egg in this contract was uh, 17 krone per item, while in a Kiev grocery shop, the egg would cost something like seven. Okay, Jakub, you're our money person. Is this really problematic or is there another explanation for something like this than willful corruption? I personally don't think this is quite as big of a deal. And here's why. So when you're dealing with large-scale procurement and you need to buy a bunch of different items for a bunch of different people, it's very easy to find yourself in this kind of situation. One, it can be a mistake. Like maybe you didn't check what is the price and you're buying them in bulk, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a supermarket where you necessarily have comparisons next to the specific item. If it was a tenfold increase, that would be really bad. You need to see how much spend essentially he had, how how big of a purchase he was making. Because if the, let's say, the eggs and the procurement that was overpriced was in the 5% of the overall contract value, that's something that you might miss, right? You're dealing with hundreds, thousands of different items that you're buying. Mm -hmm. And the smaller purchases, you just kind of want to get them out of the way. There's also a second consideration, which is If you want to buy 12 eggs, you can go to any shop and presumably find them or go to a market, whatever. If you want to buy, let's say, 600,000 of those, the places that you can buy them from are much more limited. 
There's logistical considerations. There's timing considerations. Eggs need to be refrigerated while they're transported. And so there's a lot of things that can influence the price. And it might have been a case of carelessness or just not going the extra mile to do your due diligence and make sure that every single penny is spent as efficiently as possible. But look, it is important to raise these questions now. And I was sort of thinking about two potential situations. One where all of the media decide to hold off on any reporting. And look, the truth is a lot of media are making that decision right now, right? There's a lot of media that could be reporting on something uncomfortable and they're deciding not to. And one where we sort of go and just as as before the war, report on any corruption or anything that seems suspicious. And the answer is probably in the middle, right? Like if you hold off of anything, at some point these stories will break. And if they break like a flood, all of a sudden the world decides, oh my goodness, this thing was a giant scam. Yeah. If we go and raise flags everywhere in a, I would say, non-judicious manner, there's a big risk that people will say, well, look, there's corruption everywhere. The thing is, if you want to deal effectively with corruption, you do need to raise those examples. You do need to identify those examples, but you want to do this in a way that actually leads to results and sort of cleans the process. Another thing is like Ukrainian journalists are not the only ones who are investigating these issues. So if it is the Western journalists that are writing about corruption in Ukraine, it looks a hundred times worse than if our own guys are like, hey, we know that this is a problem and we're trying to take responsibility. I completely agree with Nastya. And I also would like to add that as a Ukrainian journalist, you also know the context, you also know the background, and you can better cover these issues because you have this knowledge of Ukraine and the track record of some corruption schemes, and you can better explain why something is taking place. The other thing that I think is worth noting is just to give our listeners a little bit of context, where is Ukraine coming from? I first arrived to Ukraine in 2009, and believe me that Corruption about egg purchases was like the softest thing or the most <laughs> trivial thing that you can imagine. Like one of the first stories that I remember running into is, you know, it's winter in Kiev. None of the streets are cleaned from snow. None of the buildings have the ice removed. So there's people dying every other day from icicles falling down and slipping on ice-covered sidewalks and things like that. So like the city is in a pretty bad state and the mayor is nowhere to be found. And then we hear a story about how his daughter is in Paris and her handbag is stolen um, with jewelry worth, I believe it was around 4 million euros. Oh my God. Then we find out that the mayor is off on safari somewhere and then he's off on a beach in Israel. And the level of corruption and dysfunction that was taking place in Ukraine a decade ago is absolutely out of proportion with anything that you can imagine. I mean, it was ridiculous, right? Every single thing that you would do, you'd go to the office to get registered, passport controls on the border. Doctors. Doctors, university, everywhere you would have to pay a bribe. Mm -hmm. Everywhere. What's the worst case of corruption that you remember? I don't remember that many cases because of my age, but the one that I think most of the people in my generation remember is obviously Yanukovych and just like everything about him. Like he was the, like literally his body was the embodiment of corruption in Ukraine, I think. An icon of corruption. Yeah, I mean, I, I literally like imagine as if like a 15-year-old kid or as a 14-year-old kid, you go to a place where you're told that, okay, here is where your president lived. 
and you walk around and you see like a literal palace with like gold everywhere and 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 you read about it and and you now see it being turned into a park and you like have to wrap your head around like wait but but this is not what my friends houses look like this is not how anything in my city looks like yet here is the person who was governing over us here is how he lived like i think as a young person it really affects you I mean, that, that's really the Kim Kardashian of corruption globally. I think there in the documents that were found, you know, there's so many cases there. But one that I remember is I think the squirrel. So he had imported squirrels on the territory of his residence. And I think the budget for feeding them was several thousand euros a month because they what? like some kind of special nuts or or whatnot, which, of course, was several times the average Ukrainian salary back then. So for yeah, squirrels, for squirrels. Ukraine has changed a lot since 2009, which is something we're discussing at the moment. However, an important note here, I personally have this fear of Ukraine sliding back to something similar to what we had in 2009. Why? Because of the lack of transparency, which exists right now. Look, public procurement, Prozoro, an amazing system which was put in place after the Euromaidan revolution. When there was huge demand and the society was hungry for reforms, people came up with this Prozoro system, which is public procurement website where you can see the bidders and it's transparent. And for example, public asset declaration. Due to the war right now, lawmakers don't have to file their asset declarations. Hence, law enforcement have no idea. That's really strange. Well, it's not strange. Well, there is a reason to it because public declarations have all the information which could be sensitive oh, and emit okay. the war. Um, well, lawmakers could be targeted by Russia for some specific laws that they are supporting in the parliament. So it does make sense. However, the point I'm trying to make is that the lack of transparency creates huge opportunity for mismanagement and corruption and having this tradition in our country. I'm a little bit scared that some people can actually use this opportunity to pocket money and to just steal money or do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And and that is something that uh, concerns me a lot. I just hope that the majority of Ukrainian civil society understand that whatever freedoms we have right now, we have thanks to this brave men and women standing on the front line and defending us every and each day. We, as, as people who do not participate in the combat, have an obligation to be good because they are defending this democracy and we have to contribute as well. And if somebody right now sees an opportunity to steal, I think it's, 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 it's worse than ever to steal in the country which is at war, which is being attacked and which is being defended by so many brave people. And, uh, well, yeah, I will say a cliche thing, but people are dying for this country every single day. And, um, I think out of respect, people who see an opportunity shouldn't be doing any bad to this country because every single Grivna must be paid to contribute to the victory right now. The listener should realize just to what extent I think Ukrainians hated the level of corruption that was plaguing the country for the last sort mm -hmm. of 30 years. I mean, yeah. Euromaidan was, I would say, the number one reason that there was a revolution was corruption. Right? Yeah. People yeah. hated it. And by the way, when they actually went in and sort of checked the houses of the lawmakers that had fled after the revolution to Russia, there were photos of 
$200,000 watches, $50,000 watches, bricks of gold, uh, suitcases full of euros. And this is just the stuff that they didn't manage to make off with, right? Like this is mm -hmm. the stuff that they had to leave because they didn't fit into their Maybach or their helicopter or whatnot. And since then, Ukrainians have done so much to actually build a system that tries to bring this under control. You brought up Prozoro. This is actually a really impressive piece of e-procurement. I understand the fear of slipping back, but hopefully diligent and vigilant journalists will um, keep the public eye tracked on this. And I think it's important to highlight here while we're speaking about that, the fact that during the past week, there were so many investigative stories shedding light on some sort of corruption and mismanagement. And the important thing, which actually opposes my fear, is that, well, there were many resignations after these stories. The dream of a journalist, when you, when you do a story and then you see that it brings change or it contributes mm -hmm. to change. And now yeah. these officials handed in their resignation letters. So I hope that it actually proves the point that there is hope for Ukraine and for everybody here, that Ukraine is actually very far away from Russia in terms of values and that corruption isn't being tolerated in our country and that the officials understand that the war is not an excuse for not talking about these things and that right now is definitely not the time for corruption or wrongdoings of any sort. Anya, thank you so much for coming in. It was really interesting to listen to you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Powerlines. We'll see you next week for our regular episode where we'll be looking at some of the people and organizations who are rebuilding Ukraine's infrastructure both now and in the future. Powerlines is a partnership between the Kyiv Independent and Message Heard. It was produced by B. Duncan, Harry Stott, and Talia Augustidis. The executive producer is Sandro Ferrari. The theme music is by Tom Biddle and Alfie Godfrey.